0: Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, October 28, 2012. Today's message is titled, No One Can Tame the Tongue, Now What? by Pastor Ryan Cochran and based on scripture, James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Lord, we come to these challenging words from your servant James, and Lord, we pray that as we hear them today, that they would become real to us, and Lord, by your Spirit, that we would be able to work them out in our lives. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. May the Lord be with you. Do you remember the the story of Pentecost? In Acts chapter 2, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the disciples were praying and uh, they were, were told that after the ascension of Jesus that they should wait in Jerusalem until the promised one would come. And so the disciples were waiting and they were praying. And on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came and in Acts chapter 2, it describes the Spirit that came from heaven as a fire that, that came down and rested on them. And Do you remember how the fire was described? The flame that came down from heaven was described as tongues of fire. And these tongues of fire came down and rested on each of their heads. Tongues of fire resting on On their heads in this section of James in James chapter 3 James speaks about the power that our tongues have in the lives of other people now for the most part in this passage James speaks about the negative impact that the words that our words can have in the life of the community and in order to illustrate his point he gives us three different images Three images to describe the negative impact that our words can have on the community. The three images that he uses are the image of a bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder on a ship, and a spark that can create a huge fire. Now, these images, I'm sure if we thought about them, could really communicate to us a lot of things, but there are two things that I want to suggest to you today that James is trying to communicate to us by using these images. The first thing that he's trying to communicate to us is he's showing us how a very small thing can have great power or great influence. A bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder on a ship, a small spark that creates a large fire. All of these things are small, but they have great power. James says likewise that the tongue even though it is very small in comparison to other parts of our body, that it has great power. I think that sometimes we are under the impression that our words don't mean very much, that they're a small thing, and that maybe when we do wrong with our tongue, that it's really not that big of a deal. Uh, Of course, all of us would say, and we'd all admit, that we have sinned with our tongue, that we have said wrong things, but I think that when we think of kind of the scale of sins in our life, uh, we kind of put that pretty low. You know, it's it's not good. We shouldn't lie, or we shouldn't say uh, bad words, or we shouldn't try to manipulate people, but really it's kind of on the low on the scale of sins. It's not one of those really bad things like, you know, committing adultery or stealing or, or murder or something like that. It's easy, I think, not to give very much attention to becoming holy with our words. I think the reason for that is that we don't always immediately see the impact that our words have on other people. Sometimes we do, of course, but often the impact of our words is something that happens, that we see the results of that later. It happens slowly. And throughout the Scriptures, we read over and over again that the sins of our speech, unholiness with our words, is a great danger to our community and a great danger to our own souls. For example, in the book of Proverbs, Uh, This book that speaks about uh, simple, everyday wisdom, about how to go about living our lives, it speaks about speech, how we talk, how we use our tongues more than any other topic. Just read a few verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 18.21, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 10.11, The mouth of the righteous is the fountain of life. Proverbs 16, 24 and 25, a wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. According to Proverbs, the words that we use can either build up the community that we're in or it can tear it down. They can create relationships or they can destroy them. Jesus spoke some strong words about the way that we use our tongues. At one point he said that even doing the very simple thing of calling someone a fool, if we do that, then we are in danger of the fires of hell. How many of us have called somebody a fool? We are in danger of the fires of hell, Jesus says. And here in James right after his long discussion about faith and works that we heard from last week, right after talking about the importance of being sure that the faith that we proclaim to have matches up with our actions and is expressed in our actions, the very first thing that James talks about is the way that we use our tongues after he talks about faith and action. It's easy to think that our words really aren't that important, that being holy with our speech really isn't that, shouldn't be that much of a priority, but the Scriptures are clear that it is vital to our faith and vital to the health of our Christian community that we be holy with our speech. So these images of the bit in the mouth, the rudder of the ship, the small spark that causes a great fire, reminds us that this small thing, our tongues and our bodies, or these words that we speak, these things that we consider to be small, that they have great power. The second thing that these three images illustrate is the kind of influence that our tongues have. Consider the images of the bit and the rudder. These images remind us that our tongues have directive power. A bit in a horse's mouth directs the horse where to go. A rudder on a ship directs the ship and tells it where to go. The way that we speak to others has the power to direct their lives. I can remember words that people have said to me in my life that have shaped the way that I understand myself, have shaped the way that I understand my identity, both positively and negatively. I have made major life decisions because of words that someone has said to me about my life. Even though our tongue is small, it has great power to direct the course of one another's lives. Our words are directive, like a bit in the mouth of a horse or like the rudder on a ship. Even though these things are small, they have the power to control and to direct. Consider the image of a spark. In addition to our tongues or our words being directive, our words can also be destructive. The words that we say can destroy people's lives, can destroy the community. When I read these words here in James and when I think about this image of a small spark that sets a great forest on fire, I think about the great danger of gossip right? All of us in our friendships and relationships with one another, in our church, in our schools, we know the danger and the power of the small spark of gossip that spreads and spreads and spreads and destroys communities. Words are said to one person about someone or some other situation, and those words quickly get passed around to another, and All of these words that are said with with no intention of actually helping the situation at all, but simply said for the purpose of spreading news. It destroys the community. It's very easy for us to do. So as we think about these small words being like a spark that sets a great forest on fire, I want you to consider your own words. The last couple weeks as I've been reflecting on this passage, I've been realizing all of the times when I gossip, I say words not to help the situation or to say kind words about a person, but I just say these words in order to pass on news. We do it so easily. So I encourage you to consider your words. Consider the words that you say about another person or about certain situations that you know of that are happening uh, maybe in your workplace or here in the church. And ask this question. Is communicating this news to this person going to help that person or this situation? And if it's not, you need to be quiet. If communicating news from one person to another is not done with the intention of helping, is not done with the intention of loving the other person, but is simply communicating news for the sake of communicating news, it's gossip, and it will destroy the community. The tongue, even though it is very small, it has great power, has the power to direct, like the bit in, a house, in the mouth of a horse or like the rudder of a ship. And it also has the power to destroy, like a small spark that destroys a great forest. Those are the images that James gives to us as we think about the power of the tongue. James goes on in this passage in verse 8 to tell us this, that no one can tame their tongue. No one. And we know that James is right, don't we? We know that James is right. We have lots of experience with the truth that no one can tame their tongue. We know this because of words that other people have said to us. All of you in this room, no doubt, can recall painful words that someone has said to you. Maybe it was someone in your life who wanted to hurt you and knew exactly what words they could say in order to hurt you, and they said them purposely in order to hurt you. For others, you may be able to remember a careless word that was spoken to you, a word that maybe that person had no intention or no idea even that it hurt you, but it was a careless word and it still sits with you in your heart. No one can tame the tongue. James, we know that. It's very true in our lives. We know it because of words that others have said to us. But we also know this is true because of words that we've said to others. We know how hard it is to tame our tongues. All of us have said words intentionally or unintentionally that have hurt other people we've hurt people with the words that we've said these words that come out of our mouths it's sometimes it's almost like they go out of our mouths and we can almost see the words in the air and we wish we could just grab them and take them back and put them back in our mouth you've had that experience i'm sure we just wish we could take them back no one can tame the tongue james you're right we know all of us have been hurt by the words someone has said to us, and all of us, our words have hurt other people. This is the great problem and the great power of words. We can never take them back. Once they are spoken, even if it comes uh, with an apology afterwards, with a sincere apology, those words have been spoken, and they become a part of the reality of the relationship that have to be dealt with. Once the words are spoken, they cannot be taken back and they become a part of the reality of that relationship. Even if there is a sincere reconciliation that takes place, even if the two people sit down and talk with one another uh, and they work the things out and they, they are one with one another, they're at peace with one another, those words still remain there and they become a part of the relationship. That is the power in the problem of words. I remember very early in our marriage, I it might have even been in our relationship, I'm not even sure if we were married yet, but I, I put Katie down about something. And I said it in a joking way, um, but there was enough truth in it and enough edge to it that Katie very quickly put her foot down. And we had a conversation that day about that situation, that in our relationship, even those put-downs that are kind of jokes, but kind of not, that they wouldn't be acceptable in our relationship. And of course, Katie was right about that. She's always right. And I listened to her, and so we're careful about the words that we say to one another, even when they're said in jest. I was talking with a family member of mine a couple years ago, and and he had gone through a divorce and I think I had actually told him about this story, about Katie and I, early in our, in our relationship. And he, he responded to me, you know, Ryan, Katie's very right, because the reason for my divorce wasn't because of some major event that happened, wasn't because of some infidelity, some major thing that happened. The reason that we got a divorce was because of unkind words that we said to one another every day. And eventually, the relationship was dead. Those small, unkind words are words that destroy a relationship. Proverbs tells us in another place that careless words pierce like a sword. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We know that that's not true. Reckless words pierce like a sword. And the great power of our words is that once they are spoken, they cannot be taken back. They become a part of our reality. They become a part of our relationship that we have to deal with. And James tells us that no one can tame the tongue. So we're in a very scary situation here, aren't we? So far, James has only told us two things. First, he's told us that our tongues destroy, that they direct people's lives, usually in bad ways when we say them to people. And he also tells us that no one can tame our tongues. What hope do we possibly have to be a community together when James has said these two things? That our tongues usually destroy us and our communities and that no one can control it. Now what? What do we do now? Well, there are a couple of things that I want to say about this, because of course we are not without hope. The first thing that I want to say today is to remind us that we're all in the same boat here, aren't we? All of us know how hard it is to tame our tongues. So as we consider that we're all here together this morning as a part of this community called Ebenezer Baptist Church, let's remember that that it's hard to tame our tongues. And let's remember that when we come in conflict with somebody else, when we want to say a harsh word to someone or someone said a harsh word to us, that that person is not our enemy. Our enemy is not one another. Our enemy is the evil one who is seeking to destroy our community. When you find that someone has spoken harshly to you, when you find that you're tempted to speak harshly to someone else, remember that person is not your enemy. The enemy is sin, and the enemy is Satan, who wants to destroy us and our community. We are on the same team. We're fighting the same battle against the sin that is in us and against the evil one who wants to destroy us. Your enemy is not the other person. As we live our lives together here as this church here at Ebenezer, we will be hurt by the words that other people say to us. If you interact with a community long enough, and if you choose to allow yourself to love and to be loved, then you will at some time be hurt by the words that someone said. It will happen. It's part of being in a part of a human community. And so when that happens, and it will happen, let's remember that we're all in the same boat. Remember that you also can't tame your tongue, that you also have hurt people with your words, that you have unintentionally or unintentionally not been able to tame your tongue and have hurt somebody. In the book of Timothy, Paul calls himself the worst of sinners, and I think, in a way, as we think about our, the words that we use with one another and how often and how easy it is to hurt one another with our words, we need to remember that Paul's words and take on his attitude. I am the worst of sinners. As we live together in the church, we need to consider ourselves the worst of sinners. And I'm not talking here about beating ourselves up or making ourselves feel guilty all the time. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is a certain way that we enter into our relationships with others. We enter into these relationships knowing that sin is going to be a reality, that we are going to hurt one another, and that words will be said that hurt our hearts. And when we're in these relationships, we need to remember that we also have a difficult time taming our tongues and that we are the worst of sinners in this case, that we have harmed others when we didn't mean to so that we will have grace when others do the same to us. One of my spiritual heroes is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor in Germany during World War II and he wrote a very little book Um, It's about 85 pages long, and I would encourage anyone to read it. It's a wonderful book called Life Together, and it's about life in the Christian community. And Bonhoeffer is very realistic in that book. Like James, he knows that in the Christian community that we'll hurt one another, that we'll sin against one another, and Bonhoeffer has some great suggestions about reminding us how we can be on the same team, and how we can enter into our relationships with one another, and to extend grace to each other. I want to read a quote from "Life Together." Bonhoeffer says this: He says, "If my sin appears to me, if my sin appears to me to be in any way smaller or less reprehensible in comparison to the sins of other people, then I am not yet recognizing my own sin at all. My sin must always be of necessity the worst." and the most serious. Christian love will find any number of excuses for the sins of others. Only for my sin is there no excuse whatsoever. Let me read that last sentence again. Christian love will find any number of excuses for the sins of others. But for my sin, there is no excuse whatsoever. Don't we usually do the opposite? Don't we usually uh, lash out at somebody with our words and then as we think about it later, we rationalize it and think about how bad a day that we had and uh, all the excuses that we had that made us say that thing and that if all those things wouldn't have happened, then we wouldn't have said it? Make all kinds of excuses for ourselves. But when someone says something to us, are we willing to consider Are we willing to make excuses even for their sin? To be quick to forgive what they've said to us. Christian love will find any number of excuses for the sins of others. Only for my sin is there no excuse whatsoever. In our relationships with one another here at Ebenezer, we will be hurt by the words of others. It will happen. No one can tame the tongue. So as a body here at Ebenezer we need to remember to extend a lot of grace to each other. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that we simply let people walk all over us, that there isn't a time for us to confront somebody with the word that they have said to us that's not what I'm saying. But let's remember that as we do confront or as we do have these moments where we find ourselves in conflict because of our words, that our enemy is not the other person. The enemy is the sin that is inside of our own hearts. In the evil one who wants to destroy this relationship. No one can tame the tongue. James, we know you're right. We can't do it. All of us are in the same boat, so as a community, let's remember that we are in it together, that we need to extend grace to one another and fight the right battle. But again, what hope is there? If no one can tame the tongue and we're supposed to just kind of extend grace to people over and over again, does it just mean that we're left living in this community where we're going to get hurt over and over and over again? Is that what we're stuck with? I don't think so. I don't think so. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12 to look at verses 33 through 35. I want to hear what Jesus says. About the words that we say and about where they come from. Matthew chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 33 through 35. Jesus says, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. What does Jesus say in this passage? He says, out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. James in James chapter 3 uses similar uh, analogies as he talks about uh, a fig tree only being able to produce figs and fresh water only being able to produce fresh water. Out of the overflow of our hearts, the mouth speaks. The words that we say reflect something about the condition of our hearts. And while it is true that no one can tame their tongues, What we know throughout Scripture is that God intends, through the Spirit, to transform our hearts. We cannot tame our tongues on our own. We cannot just willpower our way to saying right things. Our hearts need to be changed. So let's assume that as you're sitting here today... That you are a person who knows, like me, that you too often use your words in careless ways, that you too often hurt people with your words, and that you would like to be a person who doesn't do that quite as often. I'm going to assume that that's most of you here today. That you admit that you use your words in wrong ways, but you'd like to be a person who doesn't do that. You would like to be a person whose words bring peace and truth and life to the community. Well, I want to suggest today, if you just focus on somehow using enough willpower to make sure that you tame your tongue, that you'll fail. No one can tame the tongue. You cannot, in and of yourself, overcome this thing. It's too hard. It's impossible. You can't do it. But by God's grace and the power of the gospel, your hearts can be changed. The title of my sermon today is, No One Can Tame the Tongue. Well, now what? And the now what is that we come to God and ask him to transform our hearts because, as Jesus says, out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. Listen to what James himself says in the very next chapter. James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Here is the now what of what we need to do to be a people who use our words rightly. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Out of the overflow of our hearts, the mouth speaks. The solution to the problem of our tongues is for our hearts to be transformed by the Spirit of God, and that happens through us submitting ourselves to him, drawing near to him, in allowing him to purify and change our hearts. If you find that you gossip, or that your words seem to always bring death to the community rather than to life, or that you're always using your words to defend yourself, or that you're always using your words to lie or to manipulate and to make people think of you something that you want them to think, or if you just simply can't control the words of your mouth, your problem isn't your tongue. Those words are only a symptom. The problem is your heart. I began my sermon today with the story of Pentecost and the story of the Holy Spirit coming down with tongues of fire. So I want you to consider that story again. Maybe this seems like a big shift or a disconnect, but stay with me. I want you to consider that the very first work Of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church was to transform the tongues of the disciples. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and filled the disciples with this new thing, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came down as tongues of fire and rested on each of the disciples' heads and immediately they began to speak words that built up the church. And created a new reality in the world. The disciples had been transformed by the Holy Spirit and so, out of the overflow of their hearts, their mouths began to speak. Words that built up, words that encouraged, words that strengthened the church. James is right. No man can tame his tongue. But what is also true is that if we seek and pray, if we draw near to God, if we submit ourselves to him, transformation of our hearts is possible, and out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths will speak. As we submit to the Spirit, he will transform our hearts so that the words that you speak will be good words, words that bring life rather than death, words that will direct people, like the bit in the horse's mouth, or the rudder on a ship, will direct people in a good and right way. In words that will be a spark, that will start a fire, but a fire that will be controlled and measured, a fire that will bring warmth and life, rather than a fire that is out of control. The transformation of our hearts is possible as we draw near to God and submit ourselves to him. I want to invite you into a time of silence. I've been talking a lot over the past months about the importance and the role that spiritual disciplines play in our lives, in our lives to transform our hearts. Uh, they are things that the Spirit uses to transform us, and I believe that if we are having a problem with our tongues, that one of the ways that we can submit ourselves to God is to practice the discipline of silence to spend time, perhaps each day or perhaps each week, simply being quiet in order to allow the Spirit to teach us how to control our tongues. And so I want to invite you into a few minutes of silence where we just simply are quiet before the Lord, asking Him to speak to us where we draw near to Him so that He will draw near to us and transform our hearts. Let's enter into silence together.